Hi guys, uh, welcome to the 1010 News for this week. So today we have four participants, uh, Kevin, Christine, Anna, and Neil. And uh, I just checked the news that uh, similarly that we have a lot of news toward like about, about the Western uh, atmosphere, uh, like uh, in uh, hemisphere in this, uh, in, in this week. So uh, let's start from, uh, start from Neil. Okay, cool. Um, so good night and probably good afternoon to all of you because so, apparently some of you are not at the, in Taiwan. We have Christine in the UK who cannot use a washer. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Uh, that's not related to my news. Uh, anyways, the news I have for you is called uh, Why Lawmakers Are Fighting Over Debt Ceiling Again. So the, the only reason I choose this topic is that, is that I don't understand the debt ceiling. And I see that coming over and over again in the past couple of years. I just don't understand what the hell it is. So I actually, I read the news and I, I Googled it and did some, did some research. So uh, what recently have just happened is that uh, the lawmakers in the US have a deadline until October 18, which is around six days later, they, there's another debt ceiling. So they, they have to try to avoid potential defaults. So uh, basically what is a debt ceiling is that you can imagine uh, this is not tied up to the US government deficit. So it doesn't really matter how much the government makes, how much the government uh, is owed people, but it only focus on uh, the debt. So it, the debt means, for example, is like 10 million US dollars that it will prevent the treasury from paying the money from, from the, the debt collector. So the US government will go bankrupt, actually go, go bankrupt, go, go bankrupt. And the action it is that it will not pay the money back. Okay, it only gives, um, pay the money under, under 10 million because the 10 million is the debt ceiling. So that's a pretty big thing. Uh, it will cause a lot of effects. Uh, however, however, the, the, there's only only place in the world in which the United States has debt ceiling. You never heard news from other country has such a thing, uh, and it has been become a a political uh, tool for the both party to manipulate each other. So it it is usually um, how to use it is that you trying to paint the other party as a reckless young man that does not care about how does the government spend their money. So um, this is how they usually do. And usually the minority party will use the debt ceiling as a tool and to tell, hey, the majority party does not care about the, the welfare of our, our country and uh, they, they're not willing to raise it, the debt ceiling or they are not willing to reduce um, the expense, expenditures. And it, this, this Debt ceiling has been um, raised or suspended for roughly 80 times since 1960. Oh my God, 80 times, 80, okay, a zero. But that, that's a lot. Um, but the, the most recent fight that changed a lot is in 2011, where uh, it was Obama's administration and the Republican party really take this pretty, pretty, pretty serious as they are, um, pushing really hard, you know, in the, in the past, it was just like, okay, we want to, uh, we want a lot of the legislation, we, we want a lot of measures, and, and we will agree to uh, raise up the debt ceiling or suspend it for a three month. 
But in 2011, it was pretty crazy that the Republican Party really wants to shut the government down. And in the last minute, they passed uh, the Obama agree on multiple, multiple deals and uh, like spending cuts. And finally, they, um, they, they passed the debt ceiling. So uh, the, re- the most recent fight in 2011 was a, was a, a t- turning point. And actually, the step ceiling can be removed by, by very pretty simple. The Congress can pass a law and then remove it. And that's it. Or the president has an option to ignore. <laughs> I don't know if you can ignore that. Oh, that's pretty good. If, if it's me, I'll ignore. Okay. Um, and it lists various pros and cons of removing debt ceiling, which is uh, you can prevent. The other party use this as a political leverage because they do not actually really want to uh, you know, cut the expenditure. The, the U.S. debit goes up, up, up every, every year. So they, 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 they're not actually using this as a tool to, to reduce government expenditure. Um, and the pros is they can um, prevent each either party to use as a political tool. And they can also eliminate all the risk that U.S. will go to the default. And it will also greatly reduce the uncertainties. Um, there are not too many benefits of a debt ceiling, except just one. Many people argue that uh, it can take away an opportunity for the Congress to debate on fiscal policy. So you can save that, save some money every year. Okay. Uh, if there's no debt ceiling, you, there will be no discussion and we will spend all the money we want. Uh, that's the only con I, I heard. Okay. So um, that's basically, this is happening again, happening again. And probably this, this won't be a very serious one. So what do you think? Um, do you think Taiwan should also have, have a debt ceiling like US? So we can, con- every, every time in a year, we have a chance to control our cost. Or do you personally have a debt ceiling? Like I make $40,000 a, a month. I cannot make more than 30,000. Otherwise I won't pay anybody. <laughs> We're gonna start from Christine as you should have a debt ceiling since you're in the UK. <laughs> okay, can I can I ask a question first? Uh, when you say go default in this case, what do you mean? Means that uh, like if U.S. government owe me money, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And if they go default, um, they will stop paying. If they they will list start prioritize who should they pay first, and there is a very very big chance that you won't be able to get money from the U.S. Treasury. So there's gonna be a pretty big impact for the economy. Basically, if- don't give money, stop paying money to, to their debt. They would prioritize because they're over the debt ceiling. Okay, so, so the debt ceiling is basically for the whole country to, um, to reach, right? Like the ceiling there. For, for the US government, yeah, for the whole country. Oh, okay, 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 got it. So this question is about whether a person personnel like me, like an individual should have a debt ceiling or you think our governments should have a debt ceiling. Okay, I mean, this is- Just pick one, you can choose yourself or you can choose the government. All right, so so I think for governments, it's, uh, it's not really necessary to have this debt ceiling because I think you just said that uh, there are not a lot of benefits, um, like mostly are negative outcomes. So I think, yeah, I think it's not necessary for a government to to have this debt ceiling. And I just checked the Wikipedia. It's the information in Chinese is actually really, really like not sufficient 
it only says that um, there's another country, Poland is another country which they have this debt ceiling and the debt ceiling they have has passed the constitutional law in their country. And it's the only one actually. Uh. And yeah, they have this uh, limited like for the debt ceiling, which is um, their 60, the 60% 60 of their uh, GDP. So yeah, I, I guess this is not really a regular kind of tools for governments to have for their citizens. Um, as uh, why why does United States have this debt ceiling? I think it's because um, they they need this like tool to uh, regulate your like the both parties. They yeah they it's kind of like a polit political tool that both parties can argue on because they can use this to to tackle against the, the other party and say that oh you are not really faced this situation we have debt ceiling and you have to you have to concern about that. You have to control your expenditure or we will have a lot of debts and it will reach the debt ceiling, something like that. So yeah, I think I think for, for a country like Taiwan, um, although we also have both parties arguing really much, but yeah, I think it's still not necessary. And yeah, I'm not quite uh, understandable from this point, like uh, what are the like good things brought from this debt ceiling for a country. So yeah, my my point with you is that it's not necessary. Okay. So I thought you're gonna answer from your own perspective, personal perspective instead of the government. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm gonna skip that. Okay. Um what about the uh what about Kevin? Uh, I actually just checking because uh, Anna has po uh, posted the news and I was checking our law actually in our uh, the public debt debt act article five there is a limitation for that we can we can raise for the uh, aggregation for each layer of the government mm -hmm. that uh, center <clears throat> from central to the local level that the aggregation cannot may not exceed exceed 50% of the average of uh, nominal GDP for the previous three fiscal years. Not uh, actually, we have this uh, this limitation, and uh, this fifty percent of the previous three years average GDP was like uh, allocated um, mostly like forty point six percent to the central government's debt, and uh, the rest of the local government will share the the rest of the quota. And uh, I just checked that uh, uh, Anna posted the supplementary article news that. Um, it says that uh, our government are aware of this kind of the limitation, but they are using a lot of the special like budget to uh, kind of uh, circumvent this kind of the limitation. So I think that uh, this question can be further structured into that, whether we want to like uh, block all the loops, loopholes for those circumventions to happen uh, that against our, uh, our limitation of budget uh, set by the law. And I think, uh, I think we'll eventually end up with some situation like US or we will come with like other special causes to circumvent those, the, the situation. Yeah, I think like uh, our country will never ever gonna have, gonna that uh, the debt reach the limitation, same as US, because it will uh, cause a big fluctuation to a financial market and no one wants that. So yeah, it will be a more like a bargaining tool between the two parties. Mm, yeah, really interesting because I don't, I never see such depth ceiling thing on the news. Um, and if there's such law, I thought the party, those political party will definitely 
use it. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Um, pay a lot of attention in US instead of my own country. Yeah. What about Anna? Yeah, I think um because I when I read the news, um you asked the question, I just uh a little uh, just barely remember the term is the Zhizhangxian. So I try to search for it, but I personally don't understand this uh, very well. So I think um, even now I check for a few news and article, I don't understand how Taiwan works on it because uh, for Taiwan, it just like it's around a percentage uh, based on our like um, three year average GDP and to do what, but um, I think there are still a lot of complicated thing inside. So um, I just don't go too deep into this. So uh, back to the questions in itself, I think that um, it, it was always like rational or reasonable if we set up a limitation on like something like this, because um, when we using the debt, it means that we don't have the money and we use the money to try to reach some goal, just like to uh, recover the economy or we like to uh, help some people or like uh, something in it. Uh, but everything has, should have a balance on it. And I think, um, I think news news is a quite quite long news, and I think a lot of language between like uh, I think both party uh, would like uh, agree that they should uh, use the depth to help the uh, the whole country. That they just want to push the responsibility to each other. It means that yeah, you are the uh, ruling party, so you should take the blame that you are now raising the depth to recover that so um until you uh raise the needs and we can just discuss and approve so we don't want to approve proactively even though we also want want this step yeah so it's just um uh yeah they want the debt but they don't want to take the plan to be the one that uh, raise the debt so i think for taiwan the situation agency is a bit uh better if they want to criticize they just want to criticize who is the ruling party they don't uh, because it's in taiwan i think it's the yuan, the administrative yuan that uh, can um, regulate the uh the budgets so uh the legislative yuan just approve or not approve so these things things getting better compared to the situation in the United States. So yes, I do think a lot of we should have a, a limitation, but it's still need to think wisely how to use this limitation. If it, we just want to play political, I think it's not wise. We should still focus on what should be done at the moment for the benefit of the whole country. True, but you people surprised me. Nobody tried to answer from a personal perspective. You all but care you about the country. Huh? You can share with me, share with us. Yeah, so I think for me, first, uh, from a government's perspective, I think it's really weird because you said debt ceiling. So you should focus on the deficit. If I make more money, of course I can have more debt, right? Why don't you tie that up to the, the focus on the deficit? Uh, the government can't have like 
how much deficit or, or how, a percentage of the GDP instead of instead of focus on the debt. The debt is a it's a it's an absolute value. Right? It's it's hard. I don't know a trillion dollars good or bad. I, I really have no idea if I compare with other countries or in the past. But I think for the front of government's perspective, uh, I think there if there should be one, there should be focus on the deficit. For personally, yes, because I'm thinking about buying buying a house uh, in Taiwan, and I, I'm I'm thinking personally, I, I didn't do the math, but uh, I shouldn't spend more than sixty percent every month than my monthly salary. So if I earn a hundred thousand, I shouldn't I shouldn't pay like my mortgage, my car, my my usual everything. I shouldn't shouldn't spend more than. Sixty hundred thousand, sixty thousand. Sorry, sixty thousand. So I can still save some money, yeah. But probably that's hard for anyone who wants to buy a place in Taipei. That's like you, you need to get a lottery, or you need to like be a pirate and rob people on the on the sea. Like shit, it's so so freaking expensive. Everything costs thirty thirty million or something. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. So yeah, that's my short term goal to share with you. Sixty percent. That's my deficit. Let's move on. Uh, who who's next? Kevin uh, should be uh, should be Kevin, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, I will share my news. So my news is about a gas shortage um, that drives the Europe's energy crisis. And uh, so this is actually a commentary article uh, by Financial Times that uh, it kind of read, wrap up the uh, the entire situation. Uh, instead of introducing something very, very new. Um, so a bit of the background is that uh, a lot of people are seeing this, uh, this gas shortage um, with, as uh, like a temporary phenomenon caused by, uh, by COVID-19. But um, in the commentary article, it says that uh, it's actually showing a structural weakness in, in Europe's uh, energy policy, like uh, when they are importing the gas. So uh, we'll be analyzing more from the structural side that um, so um, gas actually be viewed as a bridging fuel um, when Europe is trying to proposing a, a, a clean energy transition program when uh, we are moving from the hydrocarbon uh, like fossil fuel based energies towards uh, renewables um, and uh, gas will be something, something in the middle. So uh, we are kind of stuck in this stage. That's why gas has been like more more keep it more, uh, more and more important. And so there are three uh, causes primarily uh, that uh, for this energy crisis that um, the first is earthquakes in the Netherlands and second is China's attempt to clean up its air and third is Russia's power politics. Um, those three, um, those three uh, causes that all together uh, lead to the energy crisis that we're facing now. So the first uh, net, uh, earthquake in Netherlands uh, actually is quite bizarre when you first hear the term because Netherlands is not, you know, supposed to not having any earthquake. But what really happens is that um, inside of Europe, though, one of the major production zone for the natural gas is in uh, a place called Groningen in Netherlands. And um, so as uh, Europe tends to kind of keep importing the gas, but not rely on their own supply, of course, it's because their supply is not that much. Um, so Netherlands will be more seen as a swing supplies uh, when it comes to natural gases. So uh, the, the, let me introduce some of the, the swing supplies concept that 40% uh, of the, say, that make, let's make UK as example. 
40% of the total gas consumption in UK goes directly to heating houses. So basically all like most of the ga gas um, usage will be lies in the winter and there will be some like uh, the high demand in the winter but low demand in the summer. So how do they cope with this, this problem? There are two ways. One is, to, one is of course the storage um, costly. And the second way is rely on the swing supplies. So the swing supplies is more like a backup plan when you have the energy shortage that you go to swing supplies in Netherlands that you buy the expensive, the European made natural gases uh, in the winter. But in the normal time, in the summer, you rely on the imported gases, which are very cheap. So uh, an earthquake in Netherlands, is, it's happened. It's artificial because uh, when you're digging the natural gases, you will inevitably like uh, kind of uh, weakening the, the soil structure. Then you'll cause some like artificial uh, earthquakes in the Netherlands. So that's the primary reason why that uh, the, Net the Dutch government uh, has been decided to like gradually shut down this, uh, this, this biggest uh, natural gas supply in, in Europe. So Europe is end of this swing supplies. So that's causing this uh, energy shortage. And the second is, of course, the uh, growing of the Chinese demand. So in the past, uh, uh, natural gas was more, um, more supplied in a way that uh, the pipeline connects the production to the, the end user. So uh, it will be very straightforward and that will be the that will be a majority. There, there wasn't a real global market for the natural gases like the fossil fuel. But now things have changed because the, uh, the liquidified uh, natural gases has been more and more dominant. And um, so it means that the uh, natural gases produced in like Qatar or US they can be able to export to Europe like much easier. So uh, the, the Europeans has been highly relying on these like uh, supplies from very far overseas. So it makes the natural gas more a global market. Uh, and when you talk about a global market, China will lies in between because um, when the Qatar uh, country in the Middle East are trying to export natural gas, they will not just go to the European market, but also the Chinese market. So uh, there's a quote in the article say, when it gets cold in China, the gas price goes up in the UK and Germany. So that's what happened. Um, and the third is that uh, the Russian uh, issue, because uh, Europe, European natural gases has one third of the supply from, from Russia. And you know, uh, EU and Russia has been uh, kind of in a conflict uh, since uh, 2014 Crimea uh, uh, incident. And uh, it's, it's pretty hard for Europeans because Russia is so close, the supply is so big in, in quantity and so cheap. However, uh, Russians will definitely use this as a political tool to, to, to bargain on the table. And so say, I'm going to shut down the, the, the natural gas pipeline if you don't listen to me. And it makes the Europeans pretty, pretty awkward. And all in all, uh, will lead to one conclusion that's interesting made by this uh, article that it says uh, this will have you know, two effects. One is, of course, the high skyrocket uh, uh, natural gas prices. Like when you heat up your home, you'll pay a lot of energy price. Uh, and the second biggest conclusion, the biggest effect is that it may be triggering a backslash against renewable energies. If the consumers are start feeling that oh, we're turning from the fossil fuel to natural gases, and now we're facing this like high, uh, high prices for energy. So maybe the, the renewable energy is not a good idea. And it's Europe. The Europe is the leader of the renewable energy, so it might have a like a backslash effect to this uh, like towards renewable energy uh, policy in the long run. 
So that's uh, the summary for the recent uh, uh, energy crisis in Europe. And it might be keep lasting even the COVID is over for many years. So now it comes to a question that uh, when facing this uh, skyrocket uh, gas price, if you are facing this, uh, will you against or support uh, energy transition in Taiwan? Say we are using you know, high price energy and will you still uh, support for energy transition if you are you were a, a, green, a clean energy supporter before? So uh, how? Uh, let me ask Christine first. All right. Um, actually, we had two news about the whole energy crisis last week, I think. They're, they were all about like gas, yeah, the gasoline, um, like how to say, yeah, the produce of the gasoline. And um, what I think is that I will still support for the clean energy because what I read recently from um, all of the, all kinds of the sources, uh, new sources, is that we are actually facing a an age that is um, having the problem of um, like, uh, the fossil fuel abundance is, is dying. So, which means that if we are not like supporting the transition from fossil fuel to like the new green energy, then in the future years, probably not like close enough um, to see like in 10 years, but probably uh, in the more like further future that we will face a bigger problem is that we have to um, fight, fight and even having war because we are not having enough gasoline for all of the countries that need need this. So even if um, the green energy is really expensive now, I still think that is something that uh, people have to pay in, uh, like to uh, make investment into. Like even if not not the people, then the government should do because because yeah, that's the future, and we cannot rely on fossil fuel forever because Taiwan is not a a country that we have fossil fuel, like natural fossil fuel. So yes, that's definitely I would suggest, even if it's got going really high in price. But I think gas is also going really high in price right now, and it's still going up. Um, yeah, so probably um, that's not really a big deal. Like like um, it's really high in price, so we are not supporting it. Like I think uh, we have to think differently because yeah, we have to think far in the future. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Christine. And uh, how about Neil? What's your opinion? Um, yeah, I actually, Kevin, I don't want to ask. I want to ask something. Uh, I, I didn't really understand why is the, the Chinese demand goes up and the, the price in Europe will be high. Is it because China bought all of the natural gas? So there's yeah. low supply? Uh, so, yeah, so uh, there is a limited number of supply uh, from the some gas rich countries like Qatar, Iran or US, uh, top three, I believe. And then uh, if the China Chinese market demand is going higher, then of course, then uh, the ones that go to Europe will be lower and two or compete with each other and then to 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 raise the price. OK, got it. Um, um, so the question is. Well, I support renewable energy. Um, Yes, I will, because I, I truly believe global warming is a real issue. Before I think it's a, it's like, oh, shut up. Oh, I'm going to open up my air conditioner for, to, to play with on my online games. But in, in recent years, I do feel like it, we're in, in October and we're, I'm still pretty hot. I thought in usual times that 
this just should be a time that we feel a bit chill. And um, I think in, in the summer, it's really hot. It's so hot. It is so hot that it is unbearable, I think. So the global warming is real. It, it creates severe climate changes. So people should um, understand that. And now I, I earn more money and I can pay for my electricity. So I'm, I'm willing to do that. And I do think that the government is, is uh, taking care of us for a long, long time. Uh, the water and electricity in Taiwan is still so cheap that I think they should somehow raise the price. But I do, I do understand raise the price can be uh, very difficult for people who are making uh, noodles, right? selling food for, for, for people with low, very low income. I, I do understand that, but I, don't, I just don't know, but you should charge people for, for higher prices, you know, in a ways to, to subsidize that. And I, I think there's a very big issue in the news is that uh, people are not investing in, in the fossil fuel energy anymore because they think, oh, clean energy is the future. I'm not gonna put my money here because in the next 20, 20 years, uh, we're not using it. And I, I really don't know. I think this is a very classic dilemma uh, but personally, I will support renewable energy, even if I have to pay double my electricity for my electricity. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen the bill yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't feel the pain before you see the bill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And how about Anna? What's your opinion? Mm, I think your article is actually quite long, <laughs> very long one. And I think it mentioned actually this um, one a lot of different things. Like I think it shows the metrics that uh, the the electricity price actually become not just become expensive. It actually is five times expensive compared to the last year. So that's why it's actually um cause uh, serious attention right now. And before I read the news, I actually don't understand why um, the transaction of uh, energy will cause the uh, uh, souring price of gas. So I also do some other uh, reading that because I think gas is the least carbon emission among compared to other like uh, fossil, um, like fossil thing so uh, it's one of the reason so I think if that the reason behind the gas um, price selling is because of uh, uh, really because of the energy plan I think this is something that we should continue because um, I think people and the like uh, electricity like uh, the uh, provider they they actually will feel the stress or pressures and see the opportunity to uh, keep uh, pushing for those electricity appliances with uh, much energy efficiency um, based on this. So um, I remember the news say that it's just some, uh, this one happened before that uh, the selling price actually helped to speed, uh, speed up the people's uh, like habits in using electricity and a design for those uh, energy efficiency 
uh, electronics. So I think this something should be um, continued. However, I also think a lot of government can still find more new ways or try to sub subsidize for like um, some household if they are really having difficulty or strongly impacted because I think five times is still too much for the ordinary people to uh, accept this. Mm. All right. Um, thanks for everyone sharing. So that's uh, pretty much the like, wrap up for the recent uh, energy news. Uh, and the next one will be Anna's news. Okay. I think mine is much easier or like uh, easier compared to those uh, difficult news. So mine is also about a new startup company or, or it, we won't say it's too, too new. Uh, the company is called uh, Energy Technology Inc. So uh, the founder is actually um, Ron Jensen, who actually is the um, manager or what we call the lead transform the install in-store design of Apple Store before. And then he, uh, the, the previous uh, position of him is uh, go to the J, uh, JCPenney. So uh, his new company is called uh, uh, Enjoy Technology. Actually, I think it is just for the service, the different service that's been pro provided. So it actually will, um, this company actually uh, will like deliver uh, the product of like Apple or Tesla from um, the provider, the Apple or Tesla to your home uh, with some, I think very like high quality special list uh, to your home. So like your iPhone is not delivered by the TK, FedEx, et cetera, it's by um, it's delivered by tech, uh, Android technology uh, uh, delivery man or salesperson. So it brings the product to your home and explain uh, how you can use uh, this like your device more smartly or in a way that the, the company want you to know. And at the same time, maybe because you know how well it can be used, maybe you can purchase more product at the same time. So they use the van to carry more product with you when you they deliver the product to your place. And after explanation, maybe at the very first, you buy an iPhone only, but you think, oh, after its explanation, it, it has the best, best match with some Apple, other Apple product. So you will buy at the same time and the, the product is already in their van. So you can take it along with you. So um, it says that it's a, um, this uh, service is a man marriage between the white glove um, specialist with salesperson to deliver to your home. And this company is going to uh, to the public uh, with a uh, spec this actually Wednesday. So um, so I think um, this is something that's uh, quite um, uh, popular recently, the spec uh, type I have introduced for a few weeks. So uh, this is one of one. Yeah, and actually that, uh, I think the difference people will say, oh, like, uh, maybe Uber, Lyft, they are on, on demand driver. So um, maybe the quality is different, but uh, the founder of uh, Enjoy Technology say that they have around 1,000 delivery workers and every of them they have, uh, they want to train them 
uh, like the luxury retailers that you will see in the high-end department stores. So they want to bring you the best experience you can enjoy in their like brand store to your home. And actually this is just a brand new service they would like to deliver. Okay, so at the moment, uh, at the first, I actually uh, signed up the, uh, the service with AT&T to deliver phone. And until like last year, they actually have a trial deal to deliver iPhone uh, for Apple in San Francisco area in June. And then now uh, they are offering more service and they actually uh, is available right now uh, in a lot of uh, area in the North America. And they would like to open like around more like cities in the United States. So um, they a total of a 14 metro area in the US right now. Okay, so my questions today, of course, is a lot um, because this is something that I don't see in Taiwan right now. So I would like to have everybody's input about uh, how do um, how do you feel about this service, and would you want to uh, have your like luxury goods delivered by this service, and uh, or for what kind you would like them to deliver to you? So. Christine first. <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess this um, service is quite popular in the U.S. is uh, partly because the United States is quite a big country. So, um, you know, if you order in a like luxurious phone or anything like luxurious products from from the store, and then uh, throughout the delivery to your house, it probably will take uh, probably like one week like at most. So I think someone would, like some people there might think that this can be unsafe, like on the road, because it's something really expensive. So if it's damaged on the road, you will think you will feel like really, really not okay. And you will feel like, oh, this is not not good. So I think that is why that um, he, he think this kind of service may like really um, hit the market in the UI, United States. However, in Taiwan, I would say for our logistic system, they're already really fast. As you can, you can, yeah, as you all know that if you order something from Momo or other like PC homers, a lot of the um, online shopping websites and you will receive the products like even like the next day, which is really fast. So yeah, I am not sure um, whether this kind of service will, will actually make a market in Taiwan because Taiwan is too small for like delivering these kind of things. However, I think it's it's really cool. It's a new idea because yeah, usually we, we rely on the logistic service and those are quite good in Taiwan, but probably not as good as that in other countries because they're too big and too many like, uh, like reasons that we cannot control or too many, yeah, too many conditions. So maybe that is something that um, they, they really need, like people from other countries really need, yes. That's my opinion. Okay, thank you. And how about Kevin? Okay, uh, I think it's uh, this service more about like uh, to mimic the indoor kind of the shopping experience, right? Uh, and I think uh, actually I have a different point of view to like compared to Christine's. I, I think it's kind of, it's, it'll be pretty good if we can have it in Taiwan as um. For personal experiences, when I buy electronic products online, say a Surface Pro, I bought it on Momo. Yeah, it's quite risky, but I know if I bought it there. 
and uh make sure you have some options to buy like the like a mouse or like a like a like a computer bag etc but uh for me i think i'm putting myself into a risk you know these kind of things are not are not quite standardized and uh, it might come in like many different shapes um so i never be able to like uh, buy the like protection cover unless i have been you know having on-hand experiences for, for that but sometimes i'll feel like ah, maybe i need one yeah so eventually what i really do is that i go to like other shops like with the with like using additional time and to find the things that supposedly i can buy together with the, my service pro on momo so i think that if they provide such a service even with some little bit of extra cost i will actually go for it because i can usually really like a, have a hands-on experiences on those things that can be in the bundle sales and i think that it will greatly increase my chance of buying them things and also save my time Thank you, Kevin. And how about Neil? I, I always don't know whether Neil will pay for it or not because he had a debt ceiling. You have what? You have a debt ceiling, so I don't know if you'd uh, be happy to pay for this extra cost. I have a debt ceiling. Come on, I'm not that rich. I have a debt ceiling. If I spend a little bit more, I'll know <laughs> because I, I keep track of my my stuff. Uh, so the, I don't really understand because Anna, you know, this is a free service. Mm, I'm not sure. I think uh, maybe it incurs on charge because um, it says like on the uh, maybe on the Apple's website you can choose the normal delivery or delivery with um, their Android technology. So I guess this should come with the price. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Apple pays the price uh, because oh. I think it's very interesting. So. I, I, I check their website, watch their YouTube videos. I think Apple pays for it. Um, so if, if that's the case, a free, free service, then I, think, I don't think there's any reason to, to say no. Oh. It's faster now. But, uh, but I, I would imagine because, because I, I checked it, it, it says it, it lost like 500 million US dollar last year. It's not a profitable business right now. Um, I do think that they will charge people for it because if you can get a faster and personalized delivery to your house, uh, including installation, and they're going to teach you how to use it. And this is going to spend at least like an hour or something. So I would imagine that they will they will have to be profitable to to charge the customer. So. Uh, if it's a free service, I don't think anyone rejects. If it's a paid service, I will, I don't. Uh, I am definitely not the target customer. I am definitely not. I will never use such services. It's like crazy. Um, I will never. I, I do a lot of research before I buy something. And it's not just a a phone or a laptop. Even if it's a anything, yeah, anything. I, I do research. A five hundred dollar thing, uh, because of my. I think. What's really valuable is my time. I, I hate the kind of feeling that I have to go go back and research and I regret it. It's like, fuck, why did I choose this? And I have to buy it, I have to go over it. That's the time I, I hate it. So uh, I, don't, I don't really like that. And I don't need someone else to teach me how to connect my, my AirPods to my, to my phone. Oh my God, who the hell are you? Are you like from, from, from the 18th century? <laughs> So I can do all of that. I don't, I don't, I, I love like read manuals and do it by myself. And it's pretty simple. So 
I'm definitely not the target customer. Okay, thank you, Neil. Yeah, I think that uh, this attract me uh, somehow is because what I actually sometimes like, um, I like to go to Sabon, like what I, I share with uh, like Christy, because I think one of the points I like it is because they provide one-on-one -on -one service. So when you go there, she sent a people that uh, accompany you to test all the things that you would like, like to test. So actually um, it gave me like a lot of option uh, at one, like one visit. So I, I, in, uh, I can actually, really, uh, get whatever I want. So maybe I just buy more, but comparatively, if I buy online, maybe I get a cheaper price, but I don't have the service. So I think that for this Android technology, I actually just want to bring those in-store experience to your place. Because even in the Apple store, that sometimes when the new iPhone launch, it always crowded. You actually don't have the chance to talk to those salesperson. They are busy with like checking out for other customer. Even that uh, for the Apple, it actually go is to, um, I see that because Mr. Johnson, the founder is actually the one that uh, um, uphold the idea that they like, devote half of the like Apple Store to teaching users and uh, how to use their device. And actually, in the Apple Store, they provide a lot of free free course that um, teach you how to use the iPhone more uh, better, like how to take a better few pictures, how to take a better video. I don't know if you. What any of you have uh, joined that one? Because I signed up for a uh, few, few one. Actually, I will just book it, and they will just bring me to like what around the the Taipei one on one, and they show you how to how to hold your phone to like take a better video. Actually, you can sign up. Anytime you can go on the, the the Apple's website to try that. So I think they try just want to bring this uh, something to your place because uh, during the time of COVID, I become sometimes I don't want to get out, um, and actually that reduce my purchase. So if someone can come to my place without too much cost, I actually willing to pay for it because just like. Um, you have the service and you know how, because you actually pay, already pay a lot for your iPhone. So why you don't pay a little, a little extra to uh, use your phone better. So I think the idea is like that. And if like, someone comes to your place and she, he or she can customize uh, the like purchasing, uh, like uh, a com comedy for you. And I think maybe it's just somehow like investment for yourself. I don't know. You just want a handsome guy and, and come here with a lot of sabon no, and an iPhone in place. I and don't like, oh yeah. For myself, maybe. <laughs> it seems okay. like it seems like Anna is the advertiser of enjoy enjoy what? Technology. Uh, enjoy technology. <laughs> yes, I think it's really cool. Because like, oh, I think that they uh, actually in the first paragraph of the news, it actually like it, they don't want the they are like best and the newest iPhone. They're living in a co uh, 
plain uh, card box and uh, leaving at the doorstep in front of your door because it, it seems like it's not so valuable uh, compared to what you buy it and the, the salesperson deliver it to your uh, to you in person. So the, the feeling is quite different in a box or like you take it directly from the Apple, the Apple store. What's the difference? It's the same iPhone. Mm, I, I don't know. The feeling is different. I think now people are just trying to like um, ask you to pay for your customer experience. So you pay for your experience. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. I think I, if I want service, I would just go to the motor and brake store. Yeah, just like I said, because Taiwan is rather, rather small. So it's good to go out, you know, it's good to go. And I lo love like shopping windows. I don't like to shop online. So, so yeah, I'll just go to the store for the services. Because like, um, sometimes the Apple store is still very crowded. And I guess for someone, not me, maybe they are, they are actually dumb want to be crowded with other normal people they want someone to their mansion to just uh showcase the iphone to them because actually also provide the service on unpacking and maybe help you downloading and do a lot of things yeah it's pretty interesting and, uh, and uh, we're at iphone 13 right now and there has been no crowded apple store since iphone 8 Okay, nobody's buying, it's not, not a thing now. Nobody's lining up for iPhone now. If you check the iPhone 13 for the, the, the what was that, the, the blue one, the little, it is available at all size, okay? <laughs> Go to Apple, Apple Store, there's people there, there's more people than the customer, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, thanks for assuring um, due to time. Then let's uh, move to the final news, which proposed by Christine. Okay, that's a pretty pretty interesting news and from Anna. So uh, my news it's um, more also uh, stay in the technology world, and it's about Facebook. Okay, so um, it's a news from the Economist, and um, the title is that Facebook is nearing a reputational point of no return. Okay, so it, it's pretty much talking about one event happened last week. I don't know uh, whether you have remembered it or uh, whether it it had the impact on you, but it sure did because um, I think last, last um, Tuesday or some, something, I did not remember like which day is it, but it's October 4th that Facebook and its sister apps were knocked offline for six hours. And I think that time uh, Taiwan is actually probably at midnight. So uh, it probably didn't really influence a lot on you guys. But when uh, I was trying to like fall my phone before, uh, after I got back to the dormitory and I found that, oh, Instagram is not refreshing the feeds. And originally I thought it was probably, oh, it's my network like broke again because it broke all the time here so so i i didn't like pay attention to it but after two hours i refreshed the fees and it still couldn't do so i guess oh probably it's something wrong with my instagram so i like um 
uninstalled it and then installed again back to my phone, but it still couldn't refresh like all the accounts and all the feeds. So I started to go to the PTT and search uh, whether there's a problem in Instagram and sure it it has like it had um, Instagram has been like knocked offline and it's like having this breakdown for for several hours and yeah it was actually kind of a disaster for Facebook but actually it's not the biggest one because the next day which was October 5th there was this whistleblower called Frances Haugen and she was a data engineer and also a scientist and also a product manager internally in Facebook. She told the Congress that um, Facebook has all kinds of manners of wickedness at the firm from promoting like eating disorders to endangering the democracy. So she disclosed tens of thousands of Facebook's internal documents to the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is the US government, as well as the Wall Street Journal, which is the media. Yeah, so yeah, the news is basically about this and it's really huge right now. I don't know if you guys have already heard about this. So um, after the event happened, a share of the opprobrium, which uh, you can also think it's blame, that heap on the Facebook started to be like incoherent. For that, uh, politicians are really angry, but so far they seem incapable of coordinating reform to control this situation. However, investor, they kept buying the stock regardless of the bad headlines. So what uh, we can take from this is that although the people, like the public people, uh, especially the politicians, they're like furious, they're angry, um, like this fury uh, unleashed shows that the reputational problems of Facebook are actually going out of hand. So Facebook should not um, take no comfort from this, uh, taking comfort from this actually, because yes, it's it's going, going like out of control right now. And the criticism of this week is also biased or you can say tendentious because the reports highlighted internal research showing that um, Instagram and Facebook's uh, photo sharing app makes one in five American teenagers feel worse about themselves. However, they pay less attention to the finding that actually Instagram makes twice as many feel better about themselves. So at least Facebook met, made like half of a point on this because um, th it is, uh, like obviously safer not to do such research at all because as you can see, the public is actually really irrational and hysterical on this. Yeah, they only focus on what they want to see but not focus on the real things that are happening on the opposite side. And there were other complaints but these complaints are in effect against of the broader internet, not just for Facebook. So for example, um, the privacy issue that we have talked for so many times in the past, in our past news, and also like how to regulate the viral content for children, which is an issue that goes beyond Facebook. As uh, many parents already has left their child um, with YouTube, knows that this is a big problem that can be solved, that cannot be, so be solved right now. And likewise, there were dilemmas over like how the company amplifies the attention of the public and how to draw the line between like upholding free speech and 
at the same time minimizing the harm. Therefore, Facebook in this regard repeated its plea to the Congress that the Congress should actually weigh in on matters such as minimum ages rather than just leave the whole problem to the firms. And for your information, Facebook actually has made a better job than uh, most of the other techn technology firms at um, settling free speech questions because they have this um, oversight board, which is a um, useful body to dispenses the rulings on matters from like misinformation to misogyny. Yeah, so they're actually doing a good job on uh, regulating content. And I believe that Alexis is working in part of this. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have her today. And then um, it goes to the most damaging claim in this week was that uh, this whistleblower, Ms. Hogan, she alleged that Facebook has concealed a decline in its young American users. So she revealed the internal projections that a drop in teenagers' engagement could lead to an overall decline in American users of 45% within the next two years. And this would led to uh, this would lead to the advertisers to like undermine the source of nearly all the firm's sales and damage all of the sales and potentially make Facebook to break the law. Uh, of course, the firm denies it, but it's like uh, really a big thing for the investors of Facebook have long faced to the situation uh, to lack the open disclosure of what's the company is currently going and what is the real uh, statistics of the company's sales. So this is actually really damaging the company. So uh, all of these situations lead to the question that um, does any of these um, defamation and um, all the worst situation and the whistleblowing thing matter to Facebook? Um, because although Facebook's share price has lagged be behind some tech giants, it has still risen by almost 30% in the past 12 months. And also, although politicians threaten to break Facebook up, but the antitrust case is actually flawed. So the antitrust case happened this uh, in this May, I think, in the May this year, that the Justice Department claimed that Facebook is a mon monopoly according to the definition that its market excludes most of the other social networks. However, the uh, breakdown happened last week um, was uh, like proof, kind of proof this is a nonsense because um, when the outage, which is the electricity blackout happened, users started to flock out to apps like Telegram and TikTok and Twitter. So this is kind of a demonstration that Facebook is not really doing this monopoly according to what the Justice Department has claimed and has defined. So yeah, so this action is even like more of an expression of frustration than a powerful argument about a competition law. So in conclusion of this news is that um, uh, the public fury may actually matter because uh, Facebook is nearing a repetitional point of no return. And we have read a lot of news about Facebook in the past uh, several sessions that we, we do know that in these years, Facebook, Facebook is actually not facing a good situation and a good future. So if these rational argument alone is no longer enough to get Facebook out of this hole, the company should uh, and would probably look hard at its public face in the future.
So this is basically about the news, about the whole uh, whistleblowing thing. And the question that, that I would like uh, to discuss is actually not about like, what do you think of Facebook's future or yeah, where it's going to be, but actually I would like to uh, ask about what's your opinion on the whistleblower? Yeah, on this topic, because uh, when I looked into this news, I searched on Google and I found um, this person, Frances Hogan. She, uh, she did this like last week, but she actually already had a Wikipedia page, you know, and the Wikipedia page said that she's a, um, she's a product management uh, specialist and also she's a um, engineer data scientist. And also she's a whistleblower. Yeah, it's written on Wikipedia. So yeah, it's, it's really like shocked to me that uh, it, it goes that fast that people already like manhunt him, her, like um, already like had her, the page of her like really private data. And also I, I found this news on The Guardian, which is another news resources that um, there was like situation uh, which is pretty similar to this before, like some people internally from Facebook wanted to uh, also disclose some of the secrets of the firm before, but she found it really hard to do it because she was working for the firm. So uh, there was this, this article on The Guardian saying that if you are going to like disclose some of the things that you think your company is not doing right to the, to the government or to the media that uh, several steps that you can take is yeah on that on that article that you can actually pay attention to and follow it, and it's pretty shocked to me that oh so the Western countries they they really see this thing as like a uh, how to say it's like um, really doing right thing to disclose some of the secrets of your company. So yeah, the question I like to ask here is that um, if you are working like in a very big international company and you find that uh, your company is actually doing something probably illegal or you think it's not correct but uh you are like working for the company and you're like receiving a pretty like high pay then then will you will you uh like risk to do this uh, like whistleblowing thing and act like a whistleblower to your government or to to the media to disclose the secrets of your company and i would like to ask Neil first because Neil is working in a big company in the United States as well so yeah so if SAP if you find something if you found something that SAP is doing which is not right will you disclose it first of all it's a it's a it's a German-based company and uh, uh, well I be a whistleblower um, I will I will, based on a, a couple of criteria. First, I will go to my competitors, I will make a PowerPoint and I'll show them, hey, this is what I got from SAP. And if I give it to you, they're dead, okay? So uh, do you want to hire me, give me money or anything to put me on CNN or BBC? I'm pretty fluent with English, I don't need trainings. So um, do you want to do that? And if, that's, if they want to do it, um, I'll see how, how big is the, the money, how big is the money. Um, I just don't, don't believe or think that, that, you know, it's very hard for you to find the next job. So if, if you're like, 
already rich enough to be to live a life like live a life like Christine. Otherwise, you need to find a job. So uh, probably most people won't do that. <laughs> won't do that. Yeah. So uh, that's a very tough question. I have never found that. Uh, I've never found that. Yeah, and the second thing I want to mention is that I don't I don't understand why is people complaining about Instagram and Facebook shutting down? Like, have you ever paid them? You never. What the fuck are you talking about? You never paid them, right? Why are you complaining? Stop complaining. Get some rest. Yeah, that that's my opinion. Yeah, but haters do hate. They can hate anything. So that's why people are complaining. Yeah, they can. What the things that can they can only do is complaining. Okay, so yeah, what Neil talk about is actually what I what I have mentioned that yeah you uh because when you are working for a big company it means that you probably feel honored to get that job because it's already really difficult to for you to get in so you feel honored and you re receive a high pay then will you really do this like whole disclosing thing okay then I will ask Kevin. Um. Ask Mm -hmm. okay. uh, it's really tough. Um, I think like uh, I, I, unless I have a very big confidence that uh, first of all, I need to believe in what I'm doing is justice. And secondly, I need to have a very good confidence that I will, you know, I will win this. Otherwise, I won't do it because uh, say, you know, Honghai Fa'u, like the, the, the lawyers in Honghai Corporation, uh, people are saying that they are the best lawyers like in Taiwan. Um, and no matter what you said, like it's against thing, like go timing or Hong Hai, then you're dead, like completely dead. Your, your entire family, your entire family will be, will be gone. Oh my God. I, I, hope, I hope this won't be discovered by, you know, by a recording by those people. Like, uh, yeah, but uh, I think like Facebook should have a very good legal team. And if I, you know, I, I, when I do this, like leaking the company's uh, like uh, uh, classified uh, documents, I think it's, it, it, it's definitely illegal. It's, uh, it's, it's very bad behavior. It has an integrity issue. Uh, yeah, and uh, even though it might reveal some of the truths that the company is doing something evil, but yeah, the, in the first sense, I'm doing something evil as well. Um, I think, yeah, I need to have a very strong belief and I, uh, and I need to be able to, you know, have a very strong evidence to defeat those lawyers. Otherwise, I, I won't do it. Yeah, so that's why I found it really brave for a lot of foreigners to become this whistleblower as if they don't really care about what will be happening, uh, like the next step. And yeah, that's why I, I want to ask you about this question. So how about Anna? What do you think? if you are disclosing the company secrets, are you feel comfortable with it? I actually don't understand. Um, I cannot imagine if I will do what, because um, like my previous company is a very notorious company, but I was, um, I was in a customer service uh, team. So uh, actually a lot of our customer service agents uh, they will feel guilty when uh, saying the regulation to customer. But um, what I persuade land of myself is that um, because we are here and come to solve the problem, so the best thing you can do is like using the company's regulation and for the best advantage of the customer. So you are not doing the best thing. You are still... Um, 
trying to do the best under the regulation. So um, in another way, I think we are hired to solve the problem or we are trying to do the right thing. So if we see something wrong, I will just try my best to get it right. And if I fail to do that, I think I am part of the problem or I will just choose not to stay there. I actually don't quite understand how, how um, I, I can disclose something because I am the problem of the problem. That's my theory, yeah. So if I cannot correct it, I'm part of the problem. So yeah, either I collect, correct the problem or I will leave the company. So yeah, that, that's all. <laughs> that's really inspiring. Yeah, but I think uh, talking about like uh, disclosing information will be against the law. Actually, I think first place it's against the contract that you sign with the company, it's not the law. So probably uh, if something you disclose is actually like uh, could be said justice, then it's probably just against the contract you sign with the company. It's not illegal. So that's why I think maybe these people who has ever become like whistleblowers in a foreign society may, may think that, oh, the things that they do is much more like it's much correct, like right to uh, rather than like uh, comparing to breaching the law, uh, breaching the policy that, that they sign with the company. Yes, yeah. and yeah, so so that's what I think. But uh, also because, also probably because they have like bigger, bigger benefits, maybe somebody yeah. paying them. Yeah, but I think um, maybe still they are some, someone that is necessary to the society as long as they are for the benefit of the like the public, I think they are good and they are actually very brave. I just don't know if I am, <laughs> uh, have the chance to do it because I think uh, maybe a lot of Asian people are more obedient. So they either choose to take it or just leave it. They don't fight for it, um, especially take it to the like public. Yeah, that's really true. All right, so this is pretty much about my news about the whistleblower and then hand the floor back to the anchor. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for the sharing. So um, now it comes to the end of today's discussion. We discussed four exciting news that uh, happened in the Western Hemisphere. Um, so the first one we discussed about the, uh, the US Congress, they have a debt ceiling and that leads to a potential default in October 18th. And they are debating between each other the by between two parties that whether they want to abolish this, uh, this debt ceiling. And um, second is that um, we talk about the Europe's current gas shortage, which summarizes up what happened has been uh, you know, discussed in the past two weeks, uh, the major causes of the gas shortage. Um, yeah, there are many causes and uh, they might be a structural problem and it may lead to some uh, potential harm to the energy transition. And third, we talk about a startup in the United States that's called Enjoy Technology. They offer the um, pretty new services that they deliver the goods to the, to the customer. And whilst they also um, drive a van and try to sell other stuff and provide some of the like uh, uh, additional services by introducing some other products and stuff. So um, it's a quite new business model and it's, it's, maybe it's going public. Uh, we discuss a bit about how this business works. 
And finally, we discussed about uh, the whistleblower cases uh, about Facebook that happened recently, that a whistleblower disclosed the internal documents um, to the US government. And um, it, it puts Facebook's reputation in a huge danger and it's still ongoing. So we will see what happened in the, in the next coming weeks. All right, so this is pretty much the summary for today's news. And thank you all for joining. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.